1: Good afternoon, Sarah. Hi, Louise. Here we are for another chapter review. And today we're doing chapter seven. and The
0: Journey of the Adopted Self by B.J. Lifton.
1: Yep. And this one's called Stuck in the Life Cycle. And it starts off with a great quote by Solomon Rushdie, which kind of starts it just how it should be. Those who do not have power over their story that dominates their lives, power to retell it, deconstruct it, joke about it, and change it. As times change, truly are powerless because they cannot think new thoughts. It's a great quote. Such a
0: great quote. Yeah. So apropos. And it he really obviously is. wasn't even talking about adoption. No. Um, right away, she
1: starts off with the mystery of who one is is so poignant. You run the danger of becoming emotionally frozen. I've mm-hmm. never heard that. And I, I circled it just because it it really hit me. When children grow up without their identity, you become stuck in the life cycle, beached like a whale on the shores of your own deficient narrative.
0: (laughs) I was like... It's funny because in AA, they talk about like from the minute you started drinking or using as an addict or alcoholic, you become emotionally stunted until later Mm -hmm. you stop and are able to grow because it prevents you from growing. It reminded me of that. Well, and the whole chapter is kind of about that, the adolescent part of this, where mm-hmm. you are
1: stuck in the life cycle. You're, you're stuck until you grow from it. What hit me that I wanted to talk about is at the beginning, she gets into the identity issues and Eric Erickson, the,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was a middle school teacher. I became a middle school teacher partially because of my identification with feeling bad for middle school kids. Cause I had such a rough time myself in that area of life. And I didn't know Eric Erickson was adopted
0: by his mother's husband. So he yeah. didn't have his father. So, yeah, He didn't so have he... his
1: father. And he talked about it, I guess, with friends mm-hmm. all the time. And I don't know why, but it just had this aha moment of all these things I learned because I studied him so deeply and not relating to that myself, but being really drawn to it. And then, like, oh my God, that's fascinating to me. I mean she gets right into it with
0: that. And part. and he, you know and he talked about is it her him that talked about how getting through adolescence and how so many pay a price of eating disorders, phobias, underlying depression which rises out of the unresolved grief and loss. I was definitely one of those. Yeah, that adolescents. P- it took Putting me back on to adolescent ar- like, artificial self. Right. Did it? Reading this? It did. It just made me think of that time period of like You know, when my dad got remarried and we uprooted and left our childhood home and moved into their home, and just how confused and lonely I felt, and all of that, you know, it was just all of this mix of turbulence going on. It's like, no wonder I behaved and acted out. Oh, for sure. And you didn't even know all of this was like stats against you. It was all brewing inside and not really knowing what it was.
1: Well, and also that's the part you talked about because you brought the artificial self again and who am I? And he wrote, Erickson, life history intersects with history, but it's an intersection that adoptees who are denied access to their past can never find. Mm-hmm. They perch ambivin- I'm ambivalently. Ambivalently. Thank you. <laughs> on their adopted family tree, whose roots reach back to lands other than those where their forefathers came. This whole thing getting in here about birthright. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that. I always knew I was Hungarian, but it was kind of just told and no one really knew if it was true, but I really latched onto this. Like when I found out I truly was partially Hungarian, I was really relieved because it was something that I grabbed onto desperately because my family was so into their genealogy and who they were. And the thing she talked about in here is how... You mean your adoptive family? My adoptive family, how parents will tell the story like at a dinner table, a grandfather will say... Oh, and he had my laugh and this child isn't like his grandmother because of this. And just hearing stories at the dinner table, a family is told they're who they are every, all the time. And I remember those stories and wondering, who am I? Who am I? And I always hung on to this Hungarian
0: thing. Like, oh, I know that about
1: <laughs> like the saving. I've never even been hungry, but you know, it was a big thing for me.
0: Yeah. As you said that, it made me this line that popped out at me when I was reading this. Most people take their blood relatedness as much for granted as the air that they breathe. Uh, Yep. And this brought
1: up, I don't know if it reminded you of this, but we just interviewed Tony recently and how Tony used to like to look at the pictures of people. And I've always liked to look at pictures of people's families. I know you do too. And he said that adopted children scan pictures and anything they can find to relate to something that's about them. Mm-hmm. That just from that, that
0: whole chapter in there. Adopted children suffer from what is called genealogical bewilderment, a lack of knowledge of one's real parents and ancestors.
1: <sighs> just the buzzwords. Like when you say that genealogical bewilderment. I'm yeah. Like, I still feel like I'm in that a little bit. You know. Well,
0: I mean, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought this, you know, then, then I, when she gets into anecdotes and sometimes they just burn me up and this one really burned me up. Janet was told that she had the same Irish and German heritage as her adoptive parents, even though they knew that her birth mother was French Canadian and her father Italian, her adoptive father wanted her to think she was German because he didn't like Italians. Janet felt doubly (laughs) betrayed. Her parents had lied about her lineage which was her birthright, and try to wipe her out—nationality, an authentic part of her. That's like what the heck That like, burns me. Up. There's a couple of stories in here that I mean. know. Like, <laughs> you know, it just highlights the selfishness of the adoptive parents in these scenarios. Like, yeah, there's some there, wanting to just make your child into someone that you want them to be, not who they are. There was a girl
1: on TikTok I was looking at, and I was trying to refind her. You know how TikTok is—you get lost, and if you don't follow, you're like, where was that? who said that her parents, she's biracial and they adopted her and then pretended she was something else her whole life. And she knew because of her, of her looks. And they just pretended this story to fit what they thought was acceptable. And was well, that's what to- this,
0: cha- this chapter this whole- then goes on to yes. um, the international adoptions and biracial adoptions oh, and how those goodness. are even more difficult.
1: Yeah. More Uh, traumatic than regular adoption. Yeah. Speaking of
0: of TikTok, by the way, there was a big article in Teen Vogue today about how TikTok is bringing attention to adoption stories and changing the adopting narrative. Might end up being TikTok that is the big movement.
1: (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Because people can freely express themselves and find each other and in a different way, even than Twitter, because you show your story. I mean, they're so creative Mm -hmm. how people put things on there. I know I'm sort of blown away about it when she got into this whole thing of your religion and your nationality. And some people are well, like this quote from Wallace Degner. I got the genes and the, the luck. The adoptee doesn't know who built the house. He inhabits whose genes he got or whether he got any luck. Because, you know, people say, oh, I got the genes or I'm lucky because of this. Or, right. Have-. Yeah. You just kind of float. You're not sure. And I really think that's an adopted thing more than any other thing. That people will bring up like, well, I have this or that. When you're adopted, you literally are pulled out of one family, placed in another.
0: She also gets into like how, again, about adoptive parents making the kids into who they want them to be. And and then the sexuality with adoptees, adolescents, And then one father was like, if you get pregnant, I'll throw you out on your ass. Yes. And like, you know, and projecting onto these girls primarily in this scenario that... They will be sexually promiscuous, like their mother. must Like have their been. mothers, which isn't even necessarily the you know, case. It's well, uh, this obviously was written, yeah, years ago. So it was there. She's talking a lot about baby scoop era yeah. babies in a time of closed shame. adoption, and yes, shame. But even so, I think that
1: the narrative still may go on. There's a lot of shame still that we're learning from younger people still built around adoption because it becomes the adopted parent's story and she gets into the parents that do help their children and get healthy about it and right how much well this is fascinating i don't know where it was where she mentioned how much more loved they will be by their child if they help them with this journey to mm-hmm. discover who they are because You're helping make someone whole and You'll never, she was on an airplane herself. Did you think that was interesting? Yeah. Now
0: we're getting into the international adoption. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that what you're talking Mm -hmm. about?
1: We, Um, yeah, maybe we shouldn't fast forward there yet because there was still the separation anxiety part that probably I thought was interesting, but yeah, I was getting into the international part where she saw the babies on the plane.
0: Oh my God. That was like, well, just so we don't confuse everybody. It says in here somewhere about the year's. 1950 to 1970, that so many of the adoptions were out of Korea and Vietnam. 3,000 a year. I remember that. Just the circumstances, like our guest, John, that had been on the show, that circumstance wasn't necessarily that his parents wanted to give him up. It was, once again, poverty, you know, poverty Poverty as a recurring theme. And Um, it wasn't cut and dry in the way that one girl was just wandering the street. She
1: might have been lost.
0: Right. Oh, God, the one that she was well, she was lost because she she said her father would come to visit she lived with her grandparents, she remembered that her father would come to visit, and one day she was following him through the streets and she got lost and then she was picked up, put into an orphanage, and sent to america and adopted and It wasn't until many years later that she was able to finally track down the yes. story. she was very clear of course, now things have changed since this book, so even though the international adoptions have pretty much stopped. She was making a point that when you take a baby or child from their culture, it's pretty important that you pretty much immediately try to find Mm -hmm. the the birth parents, the biological family. Otherwise that could be lost forever. And often the parents didn't have that. The adoptive parents didn't have that kind of strength or desire to do that. And yes, um, and even
1: training, she says, even and training, they were almost told not to do that, like, yeah, to move on. This is and there's a term in here, and I thought you might relate to this too, when according to Erickson, young people who are confused about themselves have identity hunger. She said she liked this term because it suggests the starved part of the adoptee psyche, the part that hungers for the nourishment that the mystery about their heritage has denied them. I don't, there's all these little things I want to write down, like all these yeah. few words that I've never heard or thought of.
0: And know, it's I'm so, you know, around. between the racial issues of, especially there was one, I know this, like I knew somebody who adopted a girl from Ethiopia and she was educated herself. I mean, now of course she like wouldn't be allowed to do that, but knew about the hair, but there were so many stories about White people just taking in biracial kids, doing this colorblind thing, which is very damaging and very damaging. That came up a lot in that Colin in Black and White that he brought up. You know,
1: just fit in, deal with it, Mm -hmm. and like no one's showing them how to even be black. Who is he? The whole. She also said that what you always get into is that it's better for a family member to try to raise, like that's the last thing that should happen is actually a biracial adoption. It's best someone within that community for mirroring.
0: Well, there was even somebody in here that worked at a place. This is such a long chapter. That really is. And she's like, that should be the last solution, the yeah. absolute last solution. She said also, and if it is
1: the solution, then it's a solution that comes with a lot of training and knowledge and how to do it well.
0: Yeah, here it is. Joyce Paveo, a family therapist in Boston specializing in adoption and adoptee herself says that her first choice would be to place a child with his extended family, or if that were not possible within the larger community of his race and religion, Mm. she would rather have children adopted by white families than have them spend years in foster care. But only if those families were willing to stretch themselves, they'd have to see their family identity as biracial, which would mean changing their lifestyle. And moving into an integrated neighborhood for the sake of the child, they would have to understand what the adoption specialist, Annette Barron, has been saying for decades. You stop being white when you adopt a black child. That's good. Amen. I mean, that's very good. Yeah.
1: Well, it is a large chapter. I do think how we should round it out is that the animals.
0: Oh, (laughs) yes. (laughs) The happiness. Well, how, how. We are because it's you and so me. attached to our animals, <laughs>
1: and she, and they even got into how therapists bringing in animals to work with kids with the the kids, and they will speak to the animals about yes. losing their mothers if they're like foster dogs from the pound or whatever it is. And I just thought, like oh, Woody, is. You like Woody and touches. <laughs> I thought through the whole thing, like, oh, the attachment almost all adoptees have to animals starting very young, and. All my adopted friends, and you and I included, have this. I mean, I just yes, I just found you know it was cute part that I'm glad
0: that she she spent
1: three pages on it. So I know
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is a good way to wrap this up. We have a really interesting guest coming your way. <laughs> we sure do. See you soon. See you soon. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Louise and I talked about it for months, and we were intimidated until we heard about Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Podcasting isn't hard. Believe me, if Louise and I could figure it out, anyone can. We got a mic, some headphones, parked ourselves in our closets, and that was it buzzsprout did the rest you get a great looking podcast website and you can track all of your analytics to see how your podcast is doing so if you follow the link in our show notes it lets buzzsprout know we sent you and you get a 20 dollars amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and bonus you help support our show
2: hi i'm just gonna break in here as a friend of the podcast and a fellow Patreon, I want to join Louise and Sarah in thanking everyone who has reached out. Frankly, I've been astounded at the number of listeners from across the world who have shared their unique stories with our podcasters. I believe in the healing power of stories. As a Patreon, I've found such pleasure in supporting the podcast. And in seeing how adoptees find their people, I know how much Louise and Sarah are moved by each Patreon support. Their immediate goal is to be able to air the podcast weekly rather than biweekly. Eventually, they would like to advocate for more effective ways of adopting children. If you would like to support this important work, either once or in an ongoing way, Simply go to patreon.com, then in the search bar, type adoption, colon, the making of me. Thank you all, each in your own way, for bringing us together. And now let's rejoin our hosts.
1: Good morning. We're here with another guest that we're super excited to get to know. We met our guest on social media. She reached out to us and she has a new book out. Called the gathering place, and with no further ado, Emma Stevens,
0: welcome. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Louise. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, Emma. So nice to have you.
3: So happy to be here.
0: So, I guess we'll just jump right in. Tell us your adoption story. I think you're baby scoop era, like us. I
3: am early '60s. I was always told from as long as I can remember that I was adopted, and I remember I was like maybe three. My first kind of conscious awareness that I actually cried when my adoptive mother told me that I was adopted because I was so concerned about where my birth mother was, what she thinking I was lost or scared. I wanted to let her know I was okay. And I cried. And I remember there's actually a word for that called saudad, which is a Portuguese word that I learned. There's no translation in English other than kind of melancholy. And it's just a longing or a pervasive longing for something or someone that you can't put your finger on. Mm -hmm. I know know? that feeling well. That's a spirit that's been on me ever since I can remember. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, at that point that early had no idea what that was, but I can actually speak to it now. I had a an adoptive brother that was two and a half years older and he was adopted from the same agency. What state were you in? I was in Colorado. And shortly after that, my family moved to another city, but From that point, it was just pretty much after I cried the first time I was told, it set the course for my mom and dad both being, that's a taboo subject. You cannot talk about you being adopted. Almost like I was cut from an inferior cloth and they wanted to pretend as though that adoption part of my life never happened. I only came into existence when I was in their family and it was their way of coping with that I did have a past, Mm -hmm. and they were able to just say, kind of claim me as their own, and my brother too. So that made it really difficult because, as you guys know, are trying to form our identities and find out who we are in the world, and it gets really confusing and messy when you're told you're one person, and you clearly know that you don't really fit into your family because you all look really different. And my brother and I looked completely different. It's just kind of that whole evolving thing throughout your life of feeling like an orange slice put into a grapefruit. Yeah. Um, yeah. That otherness feeling. So that kind of was pervasive throughout my life. I, of course, didn't have the words to speak to that, but and never could really talk about my adoption story with my parents because they just wouldn't, they wouldn't go there. So it wasn't until after college that I started really thinking about searching. And but so they
0: told you you were adopted, and then they just wanted to. It was like, here's a fact about your life, but we're not going any further yeah. with this. We're never going to talk about that again. Okay. If you do talk about it
3: again, then you're ungrateful. You're selfish. And wow, we might even disown you. <laughs> we might take mm. you back. They didn't say those words. It but was just the feeling. That was the feeling. And I was also told by my parents that I'd be just the type that would search for my biological roots. And at that point, I thought, oh, yeah, I do want to. That makes me bad, huh? And that's not true. Now we all know that that's the normal, healthy feeling that you should want to know where you came from and your history and your roots.
1: Did they say that you're just the type, those
3: words? They said those exact words. Oof. I know. So I learned that it was kind of a shameful feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Shame. 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 Where you came from was shameful too. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't want to identify with anything that happened prior to you getting into this household. You know, I've always been the type that if I wanted to go ahead and do something, I went ahead and did it. And so I did search and that was in the mid 80s. And social media, computers, none of that kind of networking was available. So I was doing phone call after phone call, writing letters, just really kind of just throwing a spitball at the wall and to see what would stick. And slowly over the years would get little clues, but really came to a brick wall when after I had made a trip to the adoption agency to talk to them face to face was told that she used a fic- my birth mother used a fictitious name throughout her stay at the maternity home and that she most likely used a fake name on my birth certificate too so that meant i probably would never know who she no. was yeah i was dating a guy at the time and he was actually more of a friend but he lived in the city where i was adopted from and We came up with this plan of after I'd been to the adoption agency, I saw that the door to get in was not that well constructed. There was no security system. There was no security guard. And I said, what if we just broke in and found no records? (laughs) I was a very naive 24-year-old but it was I like your yeah. gumption there. <laughs> Just yeah, it on I needed to fuel <laughs> yeah. the whole project and he was like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> Party on. <laughs> so we did it. And well, you know, I wrote a book called The Gathering Place and in the book it's kind of exciting of how we we get the black knit hats to put on and the black clothes and the Gloves and. Oh, I've always that, had a fantasy like, of being a bank robber. Me so. too. <laughs> it was very much a heist. <laughs> and yeah. so, in the dark of the night after that agency closed, we took a flathead screwdriver and popped. We made a little damage to the door, but not a lot. It just popped open. And at that point, I was thinking, okay, now where? Because, you know, I don't know where they keep 24 year old adoption records. And I stared at a closed closet door or a door. I didn't know what was inside. I open it and there are file cabinets and there's some boxes on the floor with things that look like films and tapes. And And so I open the file drawer and see that they are adoption records, but they're ah. from more present day. And I thought, okay, it's not them, but I think we might be in the right room. <laughs> and I look at the box on the floor and with my gloved hand, I put my hand in the box and brought out. Adoption records that were dated, you know, like 1960s.
1: That's and me in Denver. You probably were holding my adoption records. <laughs> boom,
3: boom, boom. And at that point, wow. we were so afraid to be caught. Maybe the police were gonna tap us on the shoulder and say, What the heck are you doing? We took the whole box and fled and went to the nearest library to copy everything. And it wasn't until we got to the library that we found. It's called Microfiche. Uh-huh. I remember that. Stuff
0: <laughs> yeah. We remember. <laughs>
3: <has> <laughs> We're old enough to
1: remember Microfiche.
3: The library had machines that you could put coins in and make copies of all of this. So once I found 1960 through you know my birth year and my brothers, I was determined to get my brothers also while I was there. He was adopted from the same agency.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: We found that. That whole reel of film and started scrolling through on the microfiche machine and found his name and then my adoptive parents' name. So we copied all his and then we came, you know, scroll, scroll, scroll because we're two and a half years apart. And then there's my name and my adoptive parents' name. And so at that point, I really can't even think straight because we found it. So we're copying all that. And only to hear the librarian say, you've got 15 minutes left before closing time. And we were just on the last things of copying and managed to get out of the library when we collapsed in the car and realized there are no sirens and no loud dogs barking of the police after us. I said, we have to return this box. I was just
0: thinking
1: that, that. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking of all the seven. other adoptees. Yeah. <laughs> adoptees. yeah. I
3: mean, too. That's a- <laughs> like hundreds, you know, in this big box and maybe even a thousand. So we broke back in uh, and went straight back God. to the closet, <laughs> went straight back to the closet, put it right back where it was, turned around and fled through the door we had broken into. And, you know, of course, we couldn't lock the door because. We were going out of it and we were just hoping and praying that somehow someone didn't realize that the door had been broken into or that maybe someone had just forgotten to lock it up that night. So we get back to the car again, just panting and sweating, thinking, where are the police? But no, it was silent in the parking lot, nighttime, just all the parking lot lights were on and that's it. And we thought, did we get away with this? I can tell you for the next 10 years, I was sweating thinking any day someone was going to knock on my door and say, we know what you did. And now you have to pay for it (laughs) to steal your own birth certificate. A a quick
0: question of (laughs) levity. How long did you stay with the boyfriend? And where is he now? (laughs) I was thinking this.
3: He got got rather possessive and Uh thought this was probably his shoe in the door to ask me to marry him, which he did. (laughs) And I was like, dude. You know, I know you bonded over this heist and everything, but I declined and <laughs> that was it. I don't even know what happened after that point, but it was kind of funny from
1: you that- haven't
0: like looked him up on Facebook or anything. No,
3: you got, him,
1: <laughs> you, you got him super excited with the heist thing. He was like, this girl, she's for me.
0: <laughs> we were probably
3: both just in the moment of euphoria. Yeah. And and so he thought, well, the next thing to do is propose. And anyway, But there was one critical thing I left out to tell you guys, and that was that I knew that the adoption agency had a letter from my birth mother because they had told me that after I was relinquished, she wrote a letter stating her real name and not really a letter to me, but it was to the agency. And it was kind of like, you know, in the book, I type it up and put it in the book, but she's just saying things like, I hope she has a nice life. and. I wish her well, that kind of thing. But the important thing is at the end of that letter was her real freaking name. She wrote it. She could have gotten away clean. But because she wrote that letter and I got that on the microfiche. So I have the I had the letter with her name, but I couldn't read it because, you know, microfiche is so blurry and it was 24 years old. So I had to take it to a graphologist, a handwriting analysis person to tell me what her name was.
1: And they were able to decipher it?
3: After, you know, I'm 24, I didn't have the kind of money that that took, but I scraped it up somehow and paid them. And yes, they came up with it. And they said they were 99% sure that this was the exact name. So then I had her name and through my original birth certificate, my biological father had written his name. Or typed it, it was typed there. It turned out that his name was accurate; it was real. But she had used a fictitious name on my birth certificate, <gasps> so it was only because I had the letter that I was able to find her.
1: Right, and I found the both. I'm picturing you holding all these. It's almost like a vision, picturing you holding all these adoptees' records, and how many? Yeah. Pe- you know, I'm from Colorado, and you have these certain years, and I'm. Thinking,
3: I could have wow, had wow, your
1: you, mine, or just you know, I'll, it's just and they were just in there in the room and were never allowed to you
0: have, have the box on mm-hmm. the floor
1: yeah so important
0: it's disrespectful, disrespectful to it, like. <laughs> gathering dust on the floor right i walked right yeah. to
3: it that it took me less than 5 minutes to go let's look behind this
0: door door number 1
1: your biological mom must have wanted you to somehow i mean just putting her name is sort of like you know i'm I out think here it yeah. sounds
0: like it so what happened next I found my biological father first through
3: like driver's records and things that were available. You know, you could just write a letter and get things. And I matched an old address and I went through old phone books and went through all the names with his last name, thinking maybe he still lives in that city. And he did. And it was him. And so I went to him and he denied me and said, I only put my name on your birth certificate to help out a friend. And he So was he kidding. wasn't the father? But he said he was not. And he was very nice. We talked for like an hour and he hugged me before I left. I innately felt like he is because there was a very telling feature. I have German in my background and bushy eyebrows are a very prominent thing within that family. And he had them. And I looked straight at his eyebrows. I've plucked mine since then and shaped them. But
1: <laughs> You're lucky to have your eyebrows, by the way.
3: We oh, okay. would pay a lot
1: of money for those. <laughs> oh,
3: that's true. <laughs> but uh, so, so he denied it. And I went away with thinking, okay, he said no, so he must not be. It took me 35 years to nail it down through DNA Yes, he was. He was. And he passed away two years before I had the DNA proof and I found his family.
1: So you actually met your biological dad with him saying he wasn't your biological dad. Exactly. And had a hug from him. Yes. And then finding out later he's your biological dad and he's passed away. Yes. Well, How did you search for your mom and what happened with that?
3: Well, after I got the name from the graphologist... Then I was doing the same thing of old phone book records and tracking down her last name, was able to find, oh gosh, how did it go? It's hard to remember because there were so many different, you know, one thing led to the next, next to the next. I found, long story short, I found a sister of her. She was part of a big family and I found the town where she was from and I called the tourism town bureau and oh. said, Do you know, of this family, they lived there in the 50s, there were eight children. And yes, they did remember them. And I was able to find a sister of my natural mothers. And she said, Oh, well, that's my youngest sister. And here's her phone number.
1: Did you say who you were when you called?
3: You no, know, I said, I'm researching, I'm doing a genealogical search of some oh. kind. So she did give me the phone number. Later, I found out she did have an inkling that I think maybe that she it was you know. or
0: she did she know about her sister giving. Up I think baby?
3: she did know huh. a little bit, even though my birth mother was out of the house at that point. She was the youngest of eight hmm. and they had all scattered from their hometown by then. And birth mother had also scattered. But I think that she had told this older sister. And so that's why she was so readily going to give me her phone number. And tell me where she lived. And so, yes, I just, I took days to get up the courage to make that phone call. Were you
0: nearby at that point? Were you still or in the...
3: was or... Yes. Yes. No. Uh-uh. Same
0: state. You weren't no, still in Colorado? Was, okay, Not even close. You know, as
3: adoptees, we're often just worried about the other people more than ourselves. Yeah. Jeez. And so I kept saying, <laughs> I asked for her name, by name. And she said, this is she... And then I said, I have something important to tell you. I want to make sure you're by yourself and <laughs> that you're in a safe place <laughs> or something like that. And she was like, come on, what do you want? Who is this? And so then I just came out with it in silence and then I just hear this crying. And oh. so I knew that that I had found the right person. And we talked for a little bit. And in that moment, we set up a meeting where I was going to fly to where she was. And I did. And we met at that location. And I have to say that it was just invaluable that I met her and my bio dad. I came to find out that's not what I was searching for all along. I was searching for me. And everything was internal instead of external. But that's kind of like another story. (laughs) But we didn't have a cosmic connection, my birth mother and I. She talked in riddles. What do you mean she talked in riddles? Oh, you know, like, who's my birth father? Oh, I don't know. It could be anyone. It was the 60s and blah, blah, this. And she never would give me a straight answer to any of my questions. Hmm. And after a couple of years of being in reunion, I felt like I was being her mother instead of the other way around. And she didn't know what to do with me. It just became a very strange situation. Did she have other kids? Yes. I have two half brothers with different fathers, but she was the mother of all three of us. She had given another one away too. Oh, oh.
0: did you find that one? He
3: actually found me. It was kind of uh. nice found by someone else. Yeah. yeah. About 10 years ago, he found me and his story is actually even a sadder one because she gave birth to him. They lived in an apartment and she gave that baby to her next door neighbor. And she kept one of her sons and then she gave the other one to a next door neighbor that said that she wanted both of the boys. But my birth mother said, no, this one's going to take care of me in life and you can have this one. Wow. That's a hard story. Did she have mental illness? There was some addiction. Okay. Yeah. I actually Um, met her at a an alcohol rehab center.
0: How old was she when you met her? 48 ish. Yeah. And still struggling with those issues. It sounds like. I think so. Yeah.
1: I have a question. The The son that she kept, are you in <laughs> reunion with him?
3: Well, we talk once in a while, but there's also no cosmic connection there either. It's not like I hear from other adoptees saying it's a carbon copy of them or they see mannerisms, Nothing. I got nothing. It's yeah. just very odd.
1: Did he have a lot of issues growing up under her? I'm just curious after what um, you've described.
3: <laughs> I think that he became her parent. Uh-huh. I do from the things
0: I hear that he was very much her parent. Wow. And then so the brother that she gave to the neighbor, then what was his trajectory? Did he stay with that neighbor? And did he? Yes. Have, was, and he was he still in touch with his? Not friend? Not until he was like 10
3: years ago when he was in his 40s. He made contact and my birth mother had never told the son that she kept any of these stories about oh me or the one she gave away. And the two boys actually had history together because they were neighbors. Yeah. Well, the baby was about one when she gave him away and my, <sighs> the other brother was about three. So they spent time those early years together before she gave him away.
1: Oh, well, that's a whole different story, I guess. But did the son remember that he had a little brother or, you know, that's a really hard time.
3: Yeah. I never asked that. I think he was always told the story by his adoptive mother, Uh but the one that my birth mother kept never knew any of it about me or the one she gave away. That's Wow.
1: Complicated.
3: It was was very complicated.
1: So you talked about the internal, I think the internal and the external, it is the thing that brings you here, right? Because your internal journey you went through, through all this. Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Well, I mean, just struggling with the identity throughout my life and what it does to our psyche when you're told that you have to lose your true self and become this false self if you want to be loved is basically the message I got growing up. And I had to turn to something I tried to, luckily, I had a few things that were life preservers, like I would got involved in singing, I got involved with other things that were healthy, but there were plenty of unhealthy things. And I became addicted to alcohol myself,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: and drank for decades. But then it became a problem. I was physically addicted by the time I was in early 50s, and Luckily, I say that in a strange way, it brought me to my knees. Yeah. And if something hadn't brought me to my knees, I don't know if I would have unraveled and disrupted the pattern that I was on. And at that point, I had to reevaluate everything I thought about myself, about life, about God, about just everything, and slowly put myself back together again. And I had many, you know, resources that helped me with that, but it also is how I was able to deal with my adoption angst that I've had all my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm never going to be cured because I'm always going to be adopted (laughs) or cured from my other things, but I'm willing and joyful now to be on that journey for the rest of my life
0: Mm -hmm.
3: because I found peace and a certain amount of, well, how to integrate yourself, Yeah, you know, have all these different parts. That's what I talk about in the book is that I have all these parts that are put together are not perfect, but they're whole. And that's what I strive to do for the rest of my life. That's, I think, the ticket of if you wake up, this is Ian Cron. I love him. Have you Uh ever read him on typology? Yes. (laughs) If you wake up and you're in a broken story, Write a new freaking story. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm all about now is that we have that ability. We have the key to set ourselves free.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And I'm not saying I always win the struggle because I don't. But at the end of the day, I can go back to those things that I remember about when I hear myself say, Oh, you're an unwanted baby. (gasps) Yeah. And then I say, Is that true? Am I a mistake? Is that true? Life wants life. I got here. It's a miracle that any of us are here. And so at the end of the day, I tell myself those things and I remember that it doesn't matter who my adoptive parents were or my biologicals. I'm me and that's okay.
0: Did you get any of the answers you were seeking in terms of did your life kind of make some sort of sense biologically when you Mm -hmm. met both of them? Yes,
3: just not in the typical ways that you hear of. Other people, you know, talk about we talk in the same way. We have the same voice. or right. you know, I don't have any of that other than bio dad, like I said, had the, the bushy eyebrows. eyebrows yeah. And when I had a picture of my bio dad that I was given later on when I met DNA relatives, I can see facial features that are like my bio dad.
1: We hear a lot about the, oh, you look just like so-and-so or you're exactly the same. or I think a lot of people have the disconnect. I had two friends who searched earlier in life and Uh both had that, who is this other person? Like I'm not connected.
3: And that's where I had to say, okay, I am me. I'm not, you know, an extension of either set of parents. And luckily I do have a daughter and son that look a lot like me.
1: (laughs) Well, and when you have your kids, that's your Connection, Sarah and I have been through that. I mean, that's a lot of our guests, right? When you have that, your first biological child.
3: That was an ineffable experience. There's just no words to describe the relationship I had in utero with both my children. And it was fabulous. How old are they now? 26 and 24. Mm. So they're adults now, but they're just terrific people. And just so excited to see what they're becoming, and I allow them to become whatever
0: it is they want to become. Mm-hmm. That's the best. Thing that's you can a, do. <laughs> exactly just. But I mean, I've my my he, son has such a different life than I did, just because he was so enveloped with building of the self esteem. It makes a big difference. It does. I see him kind of going through life way differently than I did. Yeah,
3: I did have a struggle though, and I've heard the both of you talk about it when you're children went to college. Oh Um, my God. I had a huge little hurdle to make. And that's actually when, after they were out of the house is when my alcoholism came to a head. But yes, me too. It kind of
0: accelerated. Right. But they're just so
3: grateful that I did find what I found through that struggle. And it taught them a lot about seeing my struggle. And I learned how to let them go, you know, because for a while there, I was just hanging on too tight. Me too. That's like a death grip.
1: That's a common theme with adoptees. I was yeah. reading an article the other day. I was going to pull it for Sarah for our Facebook live and I can't find it, but it had a whole thing about, especially mothers, especially women who are adopted when they hold too tight to the kids. And I did that with my son as well. And yeah, it's like that grip, like don't... <laughs> right they feel it it, and they're like ah you know
3: yeah and they're individuating which is what they're supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. that's right and so once i figured that out and then you just set them free we have the most beautiful relationship Uh that i could you know just dream of or ask for
0: do you live close by to them we do that's lucky yeah yeah
1: I wanted to ask you, you were in reunion, you said, with your biological dad's family as well. How's that? Like, how are they about it? And did any of them know about you prior?
3: No, (laughs) no one knew about me. And that was a whole nother thing that if you read the book, you'll see my DNA search because I finally did the whole thing where... You spit in a tube and that's not right. as easy to do as one might think because it takes a while yeah. to fill up that tube. But anyway, I got the results and met my paternal side, my bio dad's side, and they've been very welcoming oh. and have met a few of them a few years ago. And coming up soon, I have the first cousins that I'm going to reunion with. And I mentioned that in the book, too, of where I'm going to Flagstaff, Arizona to meet all of them. Wow! And I'm just really excited, but it got postponed and that was in October and the book came out end of September. So if it had happened, then none of them would have read the book. Oh, and no. now that it's happening <laughs> later on, a lot of them have read the book. So I'm not that ghost cousin anymore. That's going to come and they won't know anything about it. Oh,
1: that's pretty cool. That's exciting. don't know about me,
3: but I won't know about them. <laughs>
1: I'm curious about that just because I'm aware of my biological father and who he is and that journey. You know, I haven't crossed the bridge yet. I tried a little, but it's been, eh, I have a feeling nobody knows about me. So that's why I was asking. It's an interesting yeah.
0: I have hard. that in my dating life, by the way. People ah. listen to my podcast and feel like they know me, and I know nothing about them.
3: Sarah and I talk about this all the time. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy.
1: Oh, wait, let me listen to your whole life and then go on first date with right. you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and then let me text you a gazillion times, and because I know you so well. But you see, we need to ask for their, their memoir. Yes, Do you have exactly. That's so I can read all about you. Let's just put this on an even playing field. That's pretty yes. funny. Oh, uh, well, so in summary, like, you feel like you're at a great place in your life. And Absolutely. I mean, it's constantly evolving, always yeah. working on oneself,
3: but. But I have the tools now where I never had them before. And I don't think I'm just this weird adopted child anymore. Right. I did a very normal thing in an abnormal situation. And that was yeah. for all of us. Now, I'm not saying that I'm against adoption because I'm not. But I do feel like we need to have reform. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. In a whole different way and make sure that if you're an adoptive couple that you've done your interior work uh-huh. on yourself, <laughs> ask yourself, what's my motivation? Why do I want a child? And I feel like that's critical for the health of the child.
1: It's the open conversations too. just the message. Yeah, was very harsh. And yeah. putting that on Being a child
3: Fear, you know, definitely course. fear, and just ignorance of knowing that I wasn't looking for a new family. If they had helped me, I actually would have just loved them more. Mm-hmm.
1: That's good for you to say yeah. for everybody yeah. to hear. I appreciate that you talk openly about where you've been and your struggles and stuff because I think a lot of people don't come out on adoptee Twitter and. And talk about it with their friends. I mean, until I met Sarah, I didn't talk that deeply about it with very many people. And I had adopted friends and we didn't talk about it very deeply.
3: Yeah. And so I I, think that's where we find our health is by talking about it. I do too. It's no longer a secret, you know, expose it to the light and then you can move forward. And
1: it can be a beautiful thing because more people to love if it's done well.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Thank Good. you so much, Emma. It was just really great talking to you and hearing your story. And everybody, go get Emma's book.
1: We're going to read it now. We didn't want to yeah. read it prior because, you know, we wanted to be surprised. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to dig in. So
0: Yeah. It's excited.
1: also on
3: Audible if you a listener instead of a reader.
1: Do you do your own reading on Audible?
3: I did. I enjoyed it so much. Oh, good! I I like your voice. I was thinking. I have a singing background. So Uh going into the recording studio sounded like so much fun to me, but it was very hard work. You get all these words in your mouth and (laughs) you can't even speak anymore. So it's like stop, cut. It's really difficult, but I enjoyed it very much.
0: Well, we're excited. Thank you so much. It was really great. And we'll obviously stay in touch. Yeah, thanks for everything and, you're doing. For and let York us know community. on the, please, yeah, will you post you.
1: about the reunion or, you know, let us know Definitely. or send us some pictures?
0: I will. I look forward to that.
1: Okay. Thank okay. you so Bye. much.
0: Bye, Emma. Bye. Bye. That was a really interesting story and what bravado she had by breaking into the adoption agency. Uh, I love that story. I just feel <laughs> That's like such a great story. If have, you and I knew love her, to have be, known her. Yeah.
1: Me too. We'd be right there with her and the boyfriend going, come on. And just, you know, I just picture her holding these adoption records and all these people's records right there in front of her. I was so
0: she glad she took them back. I, was like, <laughs> I had angst about it. I'm yes. Like, well, yeah. I also find it really sad you know, and it's just, again, highlights how a lot of adoptive parents put that guilt and shame onto their adopted children. So we don't, I'm not saying we I'm saying the collective, we yes, don't feel comfortable way. being able to go seek without feeling some guilt about it. And, We've heard
1: this from so many adoptees, and yeah. especially the fifties and sixties, early sixties were even, it must've been such a message at the time. Mm-hmm. That scarlet S on both sides and a and yeah. a strange scarlet A scarlet S. It's a very. Yeah. I, I feel like she's so brave to come clean about her issues and what she's dealt with, and you know it helps other adoptees to hear this.
0: It does for sure.
1: And I just enjoy her. I'm excited to hear the book.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm going to listen to
1: it on Audible because you and I were listeners.
0: <laughs> yes. Next, well, I read too. I'm actually yeah, too. in the midst of <laughs> of reading right now. But, we're rereading. Uh, yes. So, well,
1: this has been great. Another?
0: Another great episode. <laughs> <laughs> See and you next until time. next time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today.
1: And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at The Making of Me Podcast.
0: And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, Find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.